0: Programming Throwdown, Episode S1, Holidays 2022. Take it away, Jason. Hey, everybody. Um,
1: This is our annual holiday episode. This is by far my favorite episode because it's a chance where we can chat with um, our listeners, uh, people who we're ultimately serving and and supporting. So really looking forward to this. Um, We also have uh, t-shirts to give away. And this year we have um, the actual uh, vendor, a new vendor for t-shirts. So it's gonna be these really nice, uh, high quality uh, vinyl print t-shirts, which I'm really, really excited about. Um, I actually, uh, I requested a, a one of each design and um, just because of shipping and you know, I guess it being close to the holidays, everything, I didn't get my t-shirts yet. Um, so I'll make sure that the t-shirts are good before I uh send it out to our winners but but several of our patrons uh will win t-shirts today which is which is always a lot of fun. It's always a nice show I guess to be able to give away free stuff. Yeah, totally. And I think uh it's also a you know kind of good opportunity to answer questions. So we have a variety of different media here. We have questions coming in over email. We have questions coming in over the Discord questions channel which is uh, the thing that I'm going to be checking most often. So if you're listening to this live, please post your questions over there. Um, and we also have some questions coming in on Patreon, uh, you know, DMs and, and all of that. So, so really fun stuff. And we'll just kick it off with the first name in the list. Uh, as we always do, I, uh, I'm not going to read out the full person's name. I just don't know. People have different, um, um, you know, tastes as far privacy. As, as privacy yeah. and everything. Yeah. So, so I'm going to say Paul S. If uh, if you're a patron uh, and your last name starts with an S and your first name's Paul, you, it's very likely that uh, you want a free T-shirt. So congratulations, Paul. Yay! And uh, yeah, the one another nice thing about this vendor is they actually have a whole uh, infrastructure in place for giveaways. And so it's much easier for people. People used to have to like play email tag with me to give me their address and everything. But I think we've... We've got uh, a new system in place now where people will be able to just enter their address and get a, an order, a t-shirt, and the expenses have already been paid for you. So it's, it's just like buying a t-shirt, except you don't you don't have to. So you don't have to keep sending me your zip code and everything. <laughs> so, so congratulations, Paul, on your uh, t-shirt. Really exciting.
0: That is very awesome. Uh, you want me to take it away with our first question? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So I know there are some in here that Jason is very ramped up about. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick a different one. I'm gonna pick one that's <laughs> right. uh, maybe a bit more off-topic to to start with, uh, and and there are kind of two related here. I think uh, I'm gonna try to capture them both, and that is uh, how do you deal with ergonomics and muscle pain, presumably related to programming, uh, and do you use special ergonomic equipment or have certain stretches? And related, I and that's from uh, from. Oh, I'm not gonna attempt to say people's usernames. Uh, that's from someone in the uh, Discord channel. And then also in the Discord channel, someone was asking, uh, which I think is somewhat related, how to effectively increase typing speed. So um, I'll take that away first. You know, I underestimated how nice it is to just have a, a, a really good adjustable office chair. And uh, I will say that, like, I definitely had a lot of back pain when I was using essentially crappy chairs. And so uh, getting a chair that has like a lot of adjustability and then taking time to really fidget it into how I want it to be um, was a big help. Also, like as cheesy as it sounds, doing exercise, you know, specifically like ab exercises helped me get rid of a lot of back pain, which is the thing that was killing me the most about sitting and programming all day. Uh, And then for the like wrist and, uh, you know, kind of like finger finger stuff related to, to kind of typing, I think being efficient about what you do and that's a whole, a whole topic uh, and and trying to limit sort of like keyboard to mouse movement is great. Uh, also, I use a split keyboard, which helped me a lot, get it at an angle that worked a lot better better for me. Um, but I've never been great about doing stretches. Um, I know that they recommend them in the uh, courses I've had to take in various uh, corporate environments, uh, but I've never never done those. And I guess related to the the kind of typing speed, I guess part of it is, um, I'm actually not that fast of a typer. I think Jason's a lot faster typer than me, for instance, having observed him type before. Um, <laughs> but for me, it's about, you know, having a keyboard, the The split one's really good for me, making sure at one point, I I wasn't touch typing, you know, I had to look in the, because I was terrible. So making sure that I, I actually knew how to type. And then just making sure I'm efficient, making sure that like, I know what it is I'm going to type. Often that's the limiting thing, not my typing speed. So um uh if if there is an effective way to increase typing speed, I don't know it. And I've managed to do okay. I think like you can you can kind of work around that uh limit to to how fast you type.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I think Patrick touched on um a lot of the points that I would touch as well. I think um i actually stand i don't have a I, my desk goes up oh, and wow. down i'm actually sitting now i sit when i do the episodes but that's really the only thing i stand almost all the time and so i i don't have a good chair i have some ikea chair that i've had forever but it mostly just sits under my desk and uh i'm just standing the whole time um i, I did have occasionally some back pain and, and that was one thing that really surprised me was, um, you know, when I talked to a physical therapist, they said that actually your kind of what Patrick said, you know, your core strength, um, and your abdomen strength actually is, is, um, causing you to overuse your back muscles, you know, like not having that core strength is causing you to overuse your back muscles. And so she suggested a bunch of core exercises, like, um, you know, you can be on a pull-up bar and try and bring your legs up and, and all of these things. And that actually had a tremendous impact. And so, um it's it's one of these things that i would have never known on my own i would have assumed if you have back pain there's something wrong with your back um but actually the way that that uh the solution that worked really well for me and and um yeah i do try to you know do a variety of of stretches and exercises um maybe about once or twice a week um i also i mean this is uh this is pretty geeky but I, i have a lot of fun with it i have um uh you know, the Oculus VR, and um, I actually put on wrist weights and then play the VR games. And it kind of, you know, it triggers that competitiveness, right? Like you, you don't want to get, you know, killed by the boss in the sword fighting game. Um, but now you're wearing these like, uh, you know, two, three pound weights on each arm. So it makes it really hard. And if you can get through the Oculus video games with the weights on, it um, um, you know, actually builds a lot of core strength. Um, that's probably the best thing I've found as far as, uh, something that I want to do as a routine almost every day and, and get some exercise. Um, uh, as far as ergonomics, um, uh, I have a vertical, uh, vertical mouse, which I really enjoy. Um, I've never really had wrist pain, so I, I couldn't tell you how effective it is, but I actually do enjoy just, just, you know, the way that a vertical mouse feels, you it'd be terrible for video games or something, but. But uh, you know, when you're working, you really don't need to be that um, swift right, with the mouse. And so the vertical mouse just seems to feel a lot better. Um, I don't have a particularly fancy keyboard or anything like that. Um, so I guess the standing and the vertical mouse is, is my, are my sort of go-tos. And whenever I go to a new place, a new company, I'll either bring a vertical mouse or I'll ask them to buy one um, and, and uh, try and get some kind of standing
0: situation. And then what about typing speed? Do you think that's important? Do you have any tips for increasing your typing speed? Oh, yeah. You know, I had... uh, My typing
1: speed got way better when I started playing those massively multiplayer text games. So it's like uh, you'd have to type like east to go east or... I mean, some of them you've mapped to macros, but then you type like, you know, cast fireball and all this stuff. And, And they're actually like PvP. So it's like if you could... If, if you couldn't cast the fireball then uh, someone like killed you and took all your equipment. <laughs> so my typing speed got way higher um, but yeah, I think Patrick's totally right you know your typing speed uh, probably doesn't matter that much uh, if you do want to improve it, I think there's you know a lot of these games um you know are a really good way to do that uh, at least for me you know I think you know it brings it that kind of competitive spirit. Um, but I wouldn't feel compelled to improve typing speed. You know, if, if your goal is to be a great engineer, um, you know, that is that is a, a very very loosely aligned with that. I mean, there's other things that you can do, and you know, we've talked about a ton of them on on previous shows that that would uh, that would be better for for that. Um, but if you know if you do want to type faster, you know, it's a it's a good skill to have. Um, I think a lot of these games are a good way to do it. Um, cool. So, uh, we'll jump to, I'm actually just, uh, I'll go top, top to the to bottom here. Um, what are your thoughts on GPT three taking over? There's actually a bunch of uh, questions along the lines of what do we think about GitHub copilot GPT three, um, and, and some of these kind of, um, AI, uh, coding, uh, assistant tools. Um, I have to admit, I haven't used any of them. So I'm only going off of, um, you know, watching, watching videos of other folks. Um, You know, I feel like if you're writing a lot of boilerplate code, then um, you're probably doing something wrong. Um, So, so in other words, Uh if, (laughs) so, so yeah, I mean, you, if you ask chat, if you ask a GPT three to, you know, build a website for you. It has no context of your code base. So it's going to build you know, an entire website and uh, it's not going to reuse anything. Um I think that's gonna be really the Achilles heel here is is you know, I think a lot of these demos are done in, in a in a like in a sandbox where you say, you know, I'm starting your know, main.cc, right, and you know, design a, uh, you know a system to like return radar energy. And you know, I've seen some crazy videos. But then, yeah, the problem is you have to put that in context of a much bigger system, and so you might ask copilot to write something and and it writes a ton of stuff, but then someone else like could have done the whole thing in a function call because you know that's been implemented somewhere else so so yeah, I would have to say I'm a little bit bearish on copilot, uh, of course, maybe that's my own bias is like uh not wanting to be put out of business or whatever. <laughs> but, but yeah, I'm pretty bearish on it. I mean, I think there's other amazing uses and there's other questions about GPT that we'll talk about. But I feel like writing code uh, with GPT is, is maybe not the best use of it.
0: Yeah, I guess my on, on that aspect of it, I am not particularly keen. I do think, I would say more like the copilot Sort of approach where let's just say it's like line suggestion and you know like a better auto suggest as the default thing, and we've had a, a episode about that as well. Um, I think those things can work. I think you can add a lot of I don't know if this sounds bad. I'm gonna be blasted for not being a, a general AI person, but I mean, I think you can add a lot of heuristics to some of that and make sure you limit it to. To really high quality suggestions that fit, like you're saying, Jason, the context, right? So, what is your next line going to be? You know, it's sort of like people for the first time getting really well done, um, brace matching. Uh, it's just, it's, it's really useful. And I, I totally think there will be some hinting systems that, uh, we see in the short term that, that work really well. But these long term, where like, I just give a high level description, and it just works. And I've never seen a lot of thought to, you know, these questions say, like, hey, do this really large code base, and then I want to make a change, you know, or I want to maintain it or change it to do this or that. And like, do they just rewrite everything? Like, are they able to go in and make insertions? Maybe I just not look deep enough. But I think like, that's a big challenge. Like, you write your code, you need to check it for correctness, but you also need to kind of know how it works so you know how to fix it when it breaks. If you spend twice as long fixing that generated code as you would have writing it in the first place, it's not a super clear win to me. Um, people are talking about in the chat, but I, I think that's something that I saw recently discussed and we were talking about it on my, my work team was uh, like in a programming interview uh, where you have a technical interview and they're ask a question, My joke was like, your question's kind of bad if uh, it can be completely solved in a correct manner by one of these bots right now, at least. uh, And you can't tell that it wasn't done by the person. I feel like you're probably asking too much of a bog standard question. And you need to ask something that has variation or exploration where the person needs to explain themselves. I personally have zero concern about someone typing the words I said into one of these bots and then writing that code back and me thinking that they know what they're doing. Uh, because that's like such a small part of how I do the interview, at least in mine. Um, That's very much related to, well, why did you choose that? Why not this other thing? Oh, you used a hash map there. Like, what is the, you know, like asymptotic runtime of that hash map? Uh, And then of course, oh, it's constant. Well, is it? Like, what if you're, you know, you're here, you're doing this insertion over and over and over again. Are you really going to get a constant runtime if you're inserting millions of things into the hash map? Um, is not going to grow? How's These kind of questions, right? Um, and people who are relying on the chatbots to do that is not going to be effective. Yep, yep, totally agree. Um, yeah, you brought up an interesting
1: point. We interviewed somebody, and um, I know the new name of the company. It's now called S-N-Y-K, SNCC, but I forgot the old name. Um, but we interviewed a company that was doing something like this, right? They were uh, ingesting all of GitHub and then using it to find errors in your code. And I think that's a great idea. Um, I mean, I think that has a a ton of potential. And so yeah, to your point, it's like these these kind of um, um, like tools that operate at a lower level, you know, like look for array out of bounds, um, look for not handling a return correctly, um you know help you match braces i think there's huge potential for things like that yeah i think it was called deep code but i'm totally drawing a blank uh but anyways it's now called snyk snick so if you uh if you watched yeah it was if you watched if you listened to the deep code episode and wondered what happened to that company uh go check out snick um and we'll jump into another winner. So we have we have Warren Y. Warren Y. So Warren Y wins a Rage Against the Machines t-shirt. Um, I don't know if folks saw this, but uh I've we have two t-shirt designs, um, designed by yours truly. I'm not gonna claim to be as good a t-shirt designer as uh I don't even know who designs t shirts. Anyways, (laughs) but but I I have the original programming throwdown design. And then I also created a Rage Against the Machines written with all of the uh, fonts from the um, Fang companies. Um, And uh, we'll be giving away both, uh, you know, some of those as well. So Warren Y gets a Rage Against the Machines shirt unless we get sued.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's not Fang anymore, though, because uh, a lot of them change names now, right? So. Oh, my God, mind blown. So, so uh, wait, only, only Facebook, right? Did
1: the other ones change names? Google's no longer Google. It's Alphabet now. Oh, man. So, yeah, it
0: would be Mana or something. <laughs> <laughs> also, with Netflix's uh, Netflix market cap crash, like, I'm not sure they belong in the Fang acronym anymore. Yeah, you're right. So, okay, if we had to redo Fang, it would <laughs> no, not, be... No, we're not getting on this. No, yeah, we, we have. To, I
1: mean, we don't have to. You know, no, it's it's not uh, You know, no one no one takes us seriously on stock stuff. But but it, like I would say, you know, these companies that are like you know half a trillion market cap obviously stay. So we, actually wait. Was Fang Fang was Amazon right,
0: or was it Apple? Apple and Amazon. There's two A's. F A A N G. What I thought it was Fang like Wolf Fang. It's I've Fang. always seen it with two A's.
1: Okay. Okay, well so we have we have Meta, we have Apple, we have Amazon, and then we have Alphabet. So we have ma like a it's now like a goat. <laughs> are there other companies that are really big tech companies?
0: Like they're, you know, uh, half a trillion. Uh this is a this is a question for looking up on Alphabet's search website Google. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, off to change the shirt for, for now, we'll have
1: uh, actually one no, the shirt is fine because the shirt doesn't say thing or anything. So you can tell people this is my Rage Against the Machine shirt where I have all the fonts from. Uh...
0: Well, dude, you have like perfectly picked it so that Tesla falls ever so slightly short, 476 billion. So it's only Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft and Apple. Wow. Tesla is 800 at the start of the year, weren't they? Yeah, something, something very
1: high. Oh my God. I mean, that is wild. I mean, I guess, I think Facebook, uh, Meta fell further than, than, than Tesla though. But Meta, Meta is
0: only 318 billion now. What, wait, really? Wait, so, so yep. Meta's
1: not even in it according to my last nope. definition.
0: Correct. So it's, so it's Tencent, just- Tencent and TSMC and NVIDIA are all higher than Meta and Tesla.
1: Oh wow. Okay. So so it's really just ah uh, <laughs> when I look at the economy in the end of 2022, all I can
0: say is ah. <laughs> oh my
1: gosh. Uh,
0: okay. All right. Um all right, back to back to our questions. Uh okay, there was one on here. Good. Oh yeah, here it is. This is from uh Ben. He says, I haven't heard uh a lot of discussion around performance testing. Um, what do we think about that? Where does it fit in the software development lifecycle? Kinds of nasty problems can you find? Is it worth it? Uh, and is this a skill that a software, an average software, a typical software engineer should have, or defer to experts? Um, this is one of those, uh, oh, I don't know the right like cliche phrase for it, but um, it's one of those things where. Everyone loves to just go early optimization is the root of all evil. Don't don't optimize your code. Uh, I think the like real world answer <laughs> is it's more uh, nuanced than that. And I think to me, if you're going to perform optimization or you're going to try to write efficient code and you don't have some some kind of performance testing in mind. I don't know. I want to make strong comments, but I'll I'll refrain from saying that it's not worth it. I'll say that you should generally have an idea on how you would measure um, performance if you're going to try to uh, optimize something or improve something. And I will say that I, in my coding, try to strike a reasonable balance. Um, If if the optimization is going to be very, very difficult and involved and make the code hard to read and I'm not sure it's going to work, then you're almost always better off not doing it. But that being said, if you are building something from the outset that you can tell is going to break, not at 10 million users as an example, but at 100 users or 1,000 users, that's kind of a problem, right? Like if, if you have a reasonable expectation, you're going to get more than that. And so I've seen people build something that fell over well within the sort of first expected amount of work it would need to do. Then they rewrote it to barely pass that, only for it to fail over again when you know you had a 50% increase in the throughput needs. Uh, and so I think you can get into this problem where you're in a loop of barely making it work for the load you have, barely improving, barely improving, and you end up, you know, just really trying to incrementally improve something that needs to be kind of thought again from the ground up. But on the other hand, I have also seen people take tons and tons of time to build a very beautiful, well-optimized system that never got finished or never saw the light of day because they just took too long or or misjudged. So you got to have some balance in there. But I will say that I do think every, in, in my experience, every engineer at some point, software engineer, needs to know how to approach timing and measuring the performance of some code, what the uh, kind of underlying system impacts are into the measures of those performance. And I've worked with people that went and did what they thought was performance measurement and came back and effectively, all they were measuring was noise. There was the the signal they were looking for. They weren't testing it in a way that was gonna give them the answer they want. Um, And I think it's something that you don't have to be understanding of all parts of the system in a, you know, amazing, that's your one and only special skill, like there are people like that. But I do think everyone needs like some minimum competency in being able to assess how their code uh, runtime looks and the performance of it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um,
1: so Ben, I have experience with performance testing. Performance testing is a type of testing that is conducted to evaluate the performance of a system or application under a given workload. And then the rest of the chat. I
0: too. And then the rest of
1: the chat. GPT. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, So yeah, Patrick is definitely the key person. I, I don't have a lot of experience with this. I will tell you a really funny horror story, though. Um, you know, people like. Uh, assume when they come to google that you know all the code they see is going to be amazing and everyone's going to know how to write in every language and and all of that not true i mean it's just normal people right and so i was in the ai org and we had to stand up a website for like a dashboard to show the results of of the model so people who are using our model would would have something to to look at to see if it's getting better or worse um and the dashboard took maybe like two minutes to when you hit the refresh button i mean maybe like anywhere from 60 to 120 seconds for the dashboard to go from you know i type in a url to i see the result and um and, uh, you know, we just figured it was, you know, you know, someone like we were just pulling a lot of data. Like when it pulled up, there was tons of data and tables and everything. And so natural thing was like, oh, there's all this HTML and we have to go and fetch all this data. So I, finally, you know, I, I said, okay, let's let's, you know, we had a fix it week. For people who don't know what that is, that's a week where you, you know, pause all of your objectives and you just focus on making the code better. And no one wanted to touch this experiment dashboard. People were doing things around it to make it draw things without having to touch the experiment dashboard. And I finally said, okay, I'm going to rewrite the experiment dashboard or in a week or at least get as close as I can and then keep working on it. And so the, the way the experiment dashboard worked, there was someone. There was a function call, which is like HTTP get, but it's, this was all in... in uh, and I think Java or something, so there's this one function call that returned a bunch of HTML, and the way it did it was it had a string object, and so it was like string s equals you know open bracket HTML. and the next line was like s plus equals you know like oh. heading and the next line was x plus s plus equals table. and then like you can imagine the very last line of this function was s plus equals, you know, close bracket HTML. And and in Java, every time you do that plus equals, Java creates like another copy of the string, right? That's big enough to hold both of them. And uh, and so yeah, so, so literally I just changed string to string buffer and then that was it. And it went from taking 120 seconds to taking like 30 milliseconds or something. <laughs> That's, <laughs> that's actually impressive yeah. yeah you just have to add the word buffer and then at the end you have to like convert it back to a string, was to it. a string. yeah <laughs> it's like oh my god that's where gpt3 could come in like it could look at that function maybe and say and uh, totally replace
0: that that individual low bar though <laughs> <laughs> yeah gpt3 looks at the function and then fires people <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear. I, I
1: heard, Well, pivot to a crazy story. I don't know if you can confirm or deny this, but I heard from people at Twitter that the original plan was to print out your code on paper, and then Elon and and other folks would look at the stack size of the paper and then use that as like one of the heuristics to decide like who stayed and who left. So you show up with you know, a dictionary... Uh, you know, size stack of paper and you get to stay. That's what I heard.
0: Yeah, I guess my fussing at the team to stop, like, directly importing the generated protobuf auto-generated code and having it, you know, make it, uh, like, from the proto-definitions instead, I guess, would hurt my stack. I should have just left all the auto-generated code in. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? So, you, you know, you imagine that you have this, like,
1: line of people and this person is you know, walking down the line, and all of a sudden, this one person has a six foot high stack of paper, and it's like yeah I'm, I'm responsible for proto <laughs> it's, like, it's like you wasted uh you wasted uh you know six feet of paper. you're fired anyways <laughs> uh, that's too much <laughs> it, it like overflowed the int overflowed, and now you're at negative. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um I mean I let me just say, you know, I feel like compelled to just put a disclaimer. I mean, it's terrible what when what's happening at Twitter and folks getting laid off and everything. So I mean, but I feel like it's you know, you have to be able to make fun of of everything. So so uh um yeah, so yeah, I do feel for those folks about trying to trivialize it, but a good joke is a good joke. Um, all right. So, we have um Let's see, going down the list here, someone asked, um, what kind of disruption to Google and Stack Overflow will ChatGPT have to, uh, to the search industry? That's an interesting question. Have you thought about that, Patrick? It has huge implications.
0: Oh. It, it, does it fall? Is this just mean like in general? I don't know. Want to say like spam? Like people putting up wrong answers or, or overwhelming, creating like fake content pages. Is that what they're asking? Or are they meaning like doing something better? Like rather than giving you a website result in Google, they would like on-demand generate it. Well, like for example,
1: uh, let's say you go on Stack Overflow and you ask a question, like uh, you know. Um, like how do i sort a list in python or something so someone who wants to stack overflow you know uh uh virtual points yeah. or whatever we'll just yeah. put that in a chat gpt you know post the answer and then you know if they're right more than they're wrong they end up with like positive karma and they could just basically have this infinite karma generator
0: yeah i mean i think like anything th- this is just a general like bad review problem like what i guess my question there would be what do do we eventually need to share the economic costs of running chat gpt like it costs money to run it if everyone's just doing that and it's very expensive to run it becomes like not that much different than you know higher outsourcing people to do the same thing so it's this like not to make it about economics like, what is the reason for someone to do that? Like, can you change the economics such that it's, there's, like, no reason for them to do that? Um, it is unfortunate, like, to have the deluge of stuff. People could just write bad answers today. I've thought a ton about it. I I feel like it will be challenging, but I, I I, feel like there will be solutions to it. I feel like there will be ways of asking you to change something or, I, I don't know, some challenge response that you could do some of that to kind of like weed out but maybe they'll also it'll be a cat and mouse game i guess but maybe it always has been yeah i wonder you know talking about the
1: economics of it obviously training the model requires an extraordinary amount of money i i saw the the figure i feel like i'm going to misquote it but but it was just absolutely extraordinary amount of money but uh i actually don't know what it costs to serve the model um so that's uh yeah, I'm not sure if it is that expensive. I I really don't know. I know that that OpenAI will give you um, like a pretty generous number of of of, of queries for free,
0: um, but who knows what they're paying for those. I guess the other thing I said though, like if if they're so good that they're close or indistinguishable, like does that not also mean maybe the companies can turn to using them themselves? Like I was sort of saying, like generating you answers you want on demand. And then they capture that instead of allowing other people to do that. And then they don't even need, that whole problem, right? Stack Overflow is only useful if there are people on the site answering questions. But if you have a system that can actually reasonably answer all those questions and you don't need those people, and then you don't have this like, I, it's not exactly the marketplace problem, but you don't need to bring question askers and question givers together you can stand up a website that's like a better stack overflow because it answers your specific version of the question the first time, every time.
1: Yeah. Really good question. I mean, really good point. Um, Yeah. You know, it's 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 amazing. That's a phenomenal point. You know, I imagine that there'll be almost like a stack overflow visual studio code extension where, you know, you want, if you want to know, uh actually tony in the chat here brought up centering a div so so imagine like chat gpt 3 vs code extension you you punch in like how do i center a div and then chat gpt tells you and then if that if that answer doesn't make sense or is wrong or or you just can't interpret it then you go to stack overflow so it kind of like eliminates the whole bottom layer of 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 questions there I actually, I had a riddle that I remember from grade school, and I asked chat GPT-3, and it got it right. Um, so, so I'll ask you, yeah. Patrick. Here, Turing test. Oh, no. no is Patrick no. better oh, gosh. than GPT-3? So <sighs> solve this riddle. When you put this in a bucket, the bucket gets lighter.
0: It's not, is it, this word for, like, emptiness? Uh, when you put this in the A hole? Yeah, that's right. All
1: right, it's official. Chat GPT three okay. not as smart as humans. Hashtag oh, solved. Oh, <laughs> Save humanity.
0: Uh, this is not an Alpha scenario yet.
1: I'm so glad. <laughs> oh man, I'm surprised Chat GPT three got that right. It's like literally, you know, it says the answer to the riddle is a hole, and then it explains uh, a whole bunch of stuff about putting holes in buckets. Um,
0: I think it's. I, it will be interesting, you know, a lot of uh, maybe I don't want to say bad has come out of the internet, but the amount of like machine learning input to be able to get to this point by basically just feeding it everything that's on the internet is crazy to me.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, one second here. Um, There we go. Cool. So... Yeah, let's see. We have a lot more questions about ChatGPT3 that, or ChatGPT that we could, uh, we could opine on. Uh, actually, so you know, maybe I'll just kind of briefly explain what ChatGPT is for the audience because this is something that uh, I think I know pretty well. So, so GPT-3 is a forward model. So the idea is um, you, know, you can go on this Discord and there's a whole bunch of folks writing sentences. And you can train a model that says, given the sentence, you know, the fragment of the sentence up until now, so maybe take the first five words, the first seven words of the sentence, you know, predict the eighth word. Or maybe say, go, you know, given the first five words, predict the next five words, right? Sometimes it's, you know, almost impossible, you know, because it's like, uh, you know, I went to the... Or you could have gone to anything. But many times it actually is very possible. Right? There's many cases where you know you almost know what the next word's going to be before the person says it. Um, and so uh, you know it generates a probabilistic model that kind of guesses the next word. So that's GPT three. And you know given enough data and the right kinds of data, a lot of curation, all that, you can you can do this. Um, and so then you could just say, Well, you know, here's like a prompt or here's the start of a sentence, just keep generating the next word and then use that as the input again to generate the next word and then do this again and again. again. Um, What chat GPT does, the chat part is where, what they did is they had GPT-3 generate several paragraphs for the same um, query. And then they had humans go in and pick the best one uh, or even just rank all of them. And so now you have a supervised signal. You have a person saying, okay, here's two sentences. uh, Here's two paragraphs. This one's better than that one. And so you could do what's called contrastive learning. It was also called learning to rank back in the day, but now it's called contrastive learning. And so using contrastive learning, you can, fine-tune GPT to produce things that would be ranked higher, according to people. That's the the chat part. And um, yeah, that adding that piece has really been extraordinary. Uh, it's, it's, you can tell there's a perceptible difference between the two.
0: I think it's, yeah, like that fundamental way of trying to generate the negative. I guess it's really interesting. How much of the problem is finding the framework or the framing of how to sort of like set up things so that they work that way and how much of it is just like sizing or technology in the sort of like machine learning training itself? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think that that The techniques here are not that advanced. I think
1: the hard part of GPT and chat GPT, there's several pillars here. One is it's really difficult to do this at scale, right? The scale, the cost and all the complexity of that and being able to iterate. I mean, GPT-3 is not literally the third iteration of GPT. I mean, they've done thousands and thousands of tests, right? And so being able to do that at scale is hard. The data curation is really hard. I mean, I think that's the secret sauce. I think a lot of people take for granted. They think that, oh, I'll just download Wikipedia. And, you know, if I had enough time and energy and and electrons, I could just train it. But I think they did an extraordinary amount of curation. I think there's all sorts of linguistic curation going on before the training starts. Um, And then now you have all of the human labeling that they've done to do that last step that, that I refer to. That's also extremely expensive. So um, um, so yeah, I think that, that that's actually where all the complexity is here. I mean, there's other things like AlphaGo where it's complex in different ways, but here actually the algorithm I think is relatively straightforward.
0: And what do you think about the like, you see it headlined everywhere like jailbreak or, which I didn't understand what they were saying at first. Like I did, I had to kind of like look and like, oh okay, I know what they're saying. Like basically, people putting in guardrails or safeguards. Like oh, if we're doing image generation, we don't want real humans, or we don't want nudity, or we don't want people talking about racist themes. And so, trying to put in what amounts to like the model itself knows how to do those things, um, and so you need to kind of tell it not to at the end. Like, what are your thoughts about that? Like, is that just a losing battle for them to kind of approach it that way? Yeah, it's a good question.
1: So the thing about ChatGPT is they, um, you know, they have that really powerful supervised layer at the top. And and one thing that that's really important is the top layer, the layer that's closest to the output has like a massively outsized impact. So for example, look at MKL, which is... Um, Oh, I forgot what it stands for. I think it's a multi-kernel layer. But anyways, it's um, basically MKL is where you have a, a deep network, right? You have some neural network. But the very end, the, the last layer, you use what's called a Gaussian process, which is a very computationally expensive uh, process, Um um, so you, you couldn't you couldn't do it in the whole network, but you just do it at the end, and that by itself is really powerful. It's able to affect because it's back propagation, right? Doing something at the end, you're able to back propagate your signal all the way to to the back. So, um, so yeah, I mean, if you look at Chad GBT by putting the supervised signal at the end, Chad GBT ends up being just very very good at um, sort of like dodging questions that it doesn't want to answer, saying certain things are 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 um, you know um, like not okay to talk about and kind of like always trying to like steer the conversation in certain directions. It has almost like an uncannily you know, human like politician political politician like ability to be able to do that. Now that's all the the supervision. Um, and yeah, I think what they showed is that I, I mean you can actually, uh, I've seen you know Twitter posts and stuff of people kind of tricking it um, to talk about uh, taboo topics and things along those lines, and and you know if you can like sort of because because ChatGPT three is is supervised so at some point someone you know chose a list of prompts and then and then paragraphs to talk about and then rated it so so for example someone might say the 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 person who who's building Chad gpt 3 might might have a prompt that says um um you know like like some really like racially insensitive question and then there's the three generated answers and then they manually put in a fourth generated answer like that they write by hand that says you know I don't want to talk about this it's offensive and then they assign that one like a huge positive score and like give a huge negative score to the others right that that's basically what's going on here. Um, and that works, but that's gonna have some amount of coverage. There's going to be you're not you know you're not going to be able to conceive of every single way of presenting um, you know that content. and so you know yeah people always uh, you know find a way to to sort of like punch through that, I think um, and so actually. I asked Ch- uh, ChatGPT3 to announce our next winner, and so <laughs> we'll see what he said. So, so Christian B. had been wanting to add a new t-shirt to his collection for weeks. I was excited oh. when he saw the programming throwdown one at the mall. <laughs> at the mall. <laughs> okay. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, Christian B. stopped by the store to see if it was in stock. and was pleasantly surprised when the salesperson offered him the chance to win a shirt by answering a trivia question about surfing. Christian B confidently answered that the question was Kelly Slater and was thrilled when he was correct. He left the store feeling grateful and proud to add the t-shirt to his collection. So Christian B, you got a t-shirt and a story from ChatGPT 3 congratulations.
0: (laughs) Oh dear! I sense a I sense a new future for all of these things. Where uh, yes, we get wordplay from our overlords.
1: <laughs> Kelly Slater is uh, that was uh, what was it Saved by the Bell, right? Yes. Oh man! I just we just dated ourselves. <laughs>
0: um, all right. Uh, I got a couple of questions that I think are a little bit related here. So first one from a collection of letters is a username. Is it better to refer to documentation for a beginner or follow a video guided course? Uh, and then for a young wannabe programmer, what should be the key focus points or checkpoint? I think this is a this is a great question. Um, I generally don't tell people to start with reading the documentation. I guess it depends if you are looking for a specific answer to something or if you're trying to learn how to do a new thing. So. For like just making up an example, if you wanna learn how to use Unity or Unreal Engine and you go straight to the like actual technical documents, probably not gonna help you if you're not already a video game programmer. Maybe it'll help some people, I'm not saying it can't be done, just probably a bit difficult. Um, whether that you go to a video course or just a general tutorial, um, those are are probably gonna be, be more helpful. That being said, the more niche you get into a topic if you're in some specific you know shared pointer issue and deep in the depths of c++ with templates and something probably going to be difficult to find uh, you know a, a whole video guided course or even a tutorial on it you're probably going to get something much more akin to technical documentation or or maybe a question on stack overflow um something like that uh, so so there you're definitely going to have to be. For someone learning to program, the key focus points I feel like are driven from uh, an interest. I think if you can try to do something that keeps you engaged and interested, I don't think it's ex- Malcolm Gladwell was exactly right with whatever it was ten thousand hours to become an expert at something. But I do think you just need time doing programming and programming adjacent things for it to click. And so whatever can keep you motivated, I feel, Is going to be better than trying to hit some specific. And I think that can be what makes it difficult that there's not, you just do a, then B, then C, then D, and then you're a programmer. I think finding a way for you to try simple problems to make progress, but always be working. I, I do think, I guess, trying to finish things or at least get enough progress on things. And so that you're doing iterations and, and doing pieces of the, uh, ARC, the software development life cycle, however you want to call it, um, it, that you're doing it and getting repetitions on it. I think that is useful. So sitting down and saying, I want to build, you know, Dwarf Fortress, um, and I'm going to just start from scratch. That's pretty difficult, because it's gonna be a long time before you kind of circle back in a meaningful way, having completed it. Um, But yeah, I think mostly trying to align it to your sort of like interest and desire will keep you motivated and keep you spending time in the subject. Yep. 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 Totally agree. Um, yeah, I think,
1: I think, yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I think you should always have something kind of cool that you want to build because that that's also a sign to you that you're kind of entering the right discipline, right? If you like, if you kind of follow a bunch of tutorials, then you know you might build some skills, but if you go at it from first principles and say I want you know to not have to compute my tips by myself, I want my app to do it. Um, then then uh, um, you know if, if you kind of exercising you know the right muscles to turn that into something real and then getting that feeling at the end that that's going to kind of tell you a lot more about your connection to the discipline. Cool. So yeah, I have an email question that i that we'll get to, but first let's announce another winner since we're running a little bit low on time. Um, so I hopefully I can say this right. So the first name is Z E H, and the last name starts with an F. So Z, I'm assuming that's Z. Um, you won a Rage Against the Machine t-shirt. And uh I asked uh ChatGPT-3, it said Zeh, a skilled hacker, learned about a contest offering a free t-shirt to anyone who could successfully hack into a clothing company's website and retrieve a hidden message. After several hours, Zeh found a way in and located the message, sending it back to the company as proof of his hack. The company thanked him and offered him the free t-shirt as promised, which Zeh eagerly accepted and wore with pride. Congratulations, Zeh, on your t-shirt.
0: I look forward to the future when people get their uh, little narrative stories on the t-shirt that they win. Oh man. Okay. Next year we got it. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually a great Uh,
1: idea. You know, connect chat GPT to
0: like cafe press or something. I mean, we get a lot of Christmas cards. I guess maybe this is an old person thing, but like, you get a lot of Christmas cards from people you've met over the years, from family, whatever. And they always include a little story. I think I'm just going to get chat GPT to write my story next year. Just like, <laughs> I have these kids. They generally were good. They are in school. And I have a wife. Like, make a letter. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing if we could lay out the
1: photos and everything, too.
0: Oh. That'll just generate the photos. They don't need to be real. Oh, yeah. It doesn't have to be, it have to be our family. I mean, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> uh related to the previous question this one was good uh and then then maybe we could do another email one uh coding books that were great but but time proved them wrong that's an awesome question i tried really hard to think about one here in the last few minutes i didn't come up with any there have to be some like pretty like funny ones from you know 20 years ago 30 years ago right like Oh, we have to be careful because computers only have kilobytes of memory. And, you know, we, we, something, right? Just all the classic misunderstanding the exponential growth. And then on the flip side, I bet more recently you probably find some giving you guidance, sort of like, yeah, don't worry, the computer will always get faster. Um, That turns out not to be true. That would be like an easy one. I'm trying to think of, there are probably like dead methodologies as well, or like dead programming languages or languages that didn't really go anywhere that people thought were going to be really hot for a while, anything Google does. Um, I think, like, you could just, you know, probably find books about those things that are are no longer useful. But, Jason, you have any, like, books you read, and you're just like, this is just bad advice. Yeah, I mean,
1: i yeah, will have to check. I keep all of the, you know, notes on the books I read in this website that I I built the front end using Dart, and uh, the back end <laughs> using Golang. And actually, Golang is popular. <laughs> but, but, um yeah, I would say, okay, there's there's two angles to this. One is, you know, there's been several AI winters, right? So folks have promised the whole world, and then turns out, oh, AI is actually not that easy. Um, uh, you know, so that's definitely there. But yeah, as far as technology, I think that... Uh, um, I mean, there's definitely a whole bunch of defunct uh, or, or just like libraries that are just uh, languishing, right? I mean, Dart comes to mind, but there's a ton of others. So yeah, there's, I wouldn't, I don't know if it's, uh, so this thing about books or books, especially books about programming are, are usually not very opinionated. Um, it starts to get really opinionated when you talk about AI or the singularity or these other things. Um but yeah, I mean, I would say you know, th- there's probably been just like huge volumes about how to, how to code in Dart or how to write in you know, some language
0: that never really took off. I remember reading like day trading books in, when I was younger. I don't want to say that this was before the dot-com crash when everyone was sort of day trading. I remember going to the library and seeing like, you know, books about day trading, whatever, that just a few short years later would have turned out to make you like, absolutely bankrupt
1: (laughs) you know do you remember um uh like you know when you have these market crashes or you know in in the hype phase like at peak hype um there's always those people who are day trading and telling you how amazing they're doing and everything um you know that maybe that's like there's got to be someone who's looked into this and said oh and when everyone starts telling you how easy it is to day trade that's a sign that's all going to fall apart um, we had this calculus professor in high school who was literally day trading, like he would, he, would, he would give a lecture and then he would give us some worksheets and then he would day trade and uh, on the computer in the classroom. And uh, that was what, 1998,
0: 97 or something. So then like, yeah, the economy fell apart a year later. I thought you were going to go crypto on that one. People who talk about crypto all the time and then just disappear. <laughs> <laughs> um I have a interesting
1: kind of meta thing here. Uh I asked ChatGPT 3 to write a story about a coder uh, and I'm not going to say the name yet cuz I'll spoil it, but who gets a free t-shirt by dividing by zero. And and ChatGPT 3 like uh ChatGPT literally can't do it. Like I'm getting all sorts of weird errors and everything. Like maybe putting divide by zero in the question is causing GPT to have a heart (laughs) attack. Like it's just having a really hard time. It's just seg faulting. Oh dear. Yeah, it's like uh, yeah. I asked uh, I asked Chat GPT to tell me when it halted,
0: and uh, and OpenAI just went out of business. (laughs) (laughs) Just ask it the halting problem, and then just yeah. Somewhere there's a fire. Oh, yeah. One thing that really confuses it that I get a huge kick out of is when you uh, talk past the sale.
1: You know, so when you say something like, explain why the halting problem can be solved if you use Haskell. So it's like you, you've presupposed something that's totally bogus. And it, it tries its best. I mean, it's uh,
0: it's <laughs> so, so uh, but but yeah, it generates some absolutely hilarious things. Oh, it won't point out that you're like, you're giving it something contradictory. Right,
1: right. I mean, sometimes it does, but the majority of the time when you talk past the sale, it will just try its best to make that a reality.
0: Uh,
1: oh, here we go. I got it. Okay. It's up. But the fourth attempt, it actually tells you how many attempts. Um, I don't know why I had to take four for this, but um, James K. James K., our next winner, was a skilled coder who loved nothing more than solving complex problems. One day, while deep in thought, James had an idea. He remembered reading about a strange phenomenon known as a division by zero error. If he could trigger this error, he might be able to find a way to win a t-shirt. <laughs> um, excited by this, he typed out one line of code that would trigger the error. To surprise, the code worked perfectly. And he was able to get a solution to the divide by zero problem. As a reward for his hard work, the company he worked for offered him a free T-shirt. James accepted the
0: prize with a smile. The end. It actually said the end. (laughs) We need to generate stories about two handsome podcast hosts becoming enormously wealthy and out of their generosity, giving out uh, because they gave out free T-shirts. There we go.
1: Oh, that's a great idea. Write a story about two people who gave up free T-shirts and somehow tripped and fell into a wad of cash. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me get to the email question. Uh, I definitely want to uh, cover that. Um, We have a couple here, but let's do the first one. Um, Machine learning is... I'm going to summarize here. And this is from Jeremy S., Um, machine learning is really interesting topic to me. Uh, I want to jump into that field, but I'm not sure where to start. Um, yeah, this is, I get this question all the time. Um, so, you know, sorry if this sounds like a canned answer, but I've thought a lot about this. And, and so my take on this is, is the following, um, at the end of the day, like if you are working on software. You know, you're building some type of software product for some audience, right? And so, you know, when you build it, you try and, you know, use common sense. You say, well, I would want it to do this, or, you know, I want the compiler to tell me quickly when there's an error, or I want the map when I open the Maps app to start, you know, at my location. Um, So that's all common sense. Um... But sometimes you get it right, and sometimes you don't. And the only way you really know if you are thinking, you know, on the same level as your audience is to collect data, collect metrics, and so, and try different things and see how that affects the metrics, right? And so, you can't actually, um, you know, if you work for like, you can't actually build the best product unless you're measuring things and then reacting to those measurements, whether it's a game or an app or a website or anything. Even a compiler, they need to ask you know, their audience you know, w- w- questions and learn more about their use cases, right? <clears throat> and so you, know, you can't build software without running headfirst into this problem, and you can't solve it without some amount of statistics and machine learning right i mean even if it's as simple as i'm going to you know group of my bug reports and work on the one with the most the, the topic with the most reports so that's still some way of looking at metrics and then reacting to them and so you you could argue well how did i do that grouping did i do it by hand you know can i automate that um and so this is a really good place for people to start so if you're a software engineer you want to get into machine learning a really good conduit is to you know find the team that's collecting metrics and learning about the product and uh, just embed yourself in that team and you'll invariably hit like all of the most interesting uh problems in machine learning uh you're not going to hit you know the 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 things like computer graphics and stuff but but all the interesting problems related to sort of decision theory and all that you'll hit with with almost any software product
0: that seems pretty reasonable yeah i don't have any specific advice on that but yeah i mean i think yeah it, it makes a lot of sense
1: yeah um sorry i lost my place here patrick do you have any any questions you want to cover are there any yeah i
0: I think we got most of them from the chat i didn't curate the list of uh, the email ones but i'm looking here people are wanting a hangout jason they want a like way to meet um yeah i think we can virtual one's easy in person one i mean i guess it depends on on where uh let's see looking for any others i mean i think we got a lot of these covered yeah i'm uh um
1: so I'm terrible at email. So I apologize if I lost your question, just uh, either uh, post in the chat and the questions channel on discord and we'll, we'll make it up to you. But uh, yeah, for some reason I thought I had a second one. I actually, it's gone somewhere else. But, uh, um, but yeah, this was awesome. I mean, we covered a lot of good content. Let me do, let's do the final uh, sixth t-shirt. So um, what should we have this person do, Patrick? To get their t-shirt. Is this the last one? This is the last one.
0: Have them give an amazing outro to a podcast.
1: Oh, that is a great idea.
0: We're going to make it very unhappy. (laughs) There
1: we go. All right, well, ChatGPT is kind of thinking about that. Um, Maybe we should do some predictions. Oh, actually, so last year, if I remember correctly... I wonder if we have it in our notes, but last year, you know, I remember one prediction that you made that really stood out was Uh-oh. that, uh, you felt like, uh, you know, space, space was going to be kind of like a big motif for the year. And I think you, you kind of got that right. Um, you know, I think that like, I personally got really into SpaceX and, and all of that. I mean,
0: I got in, you know, really into the hype there. Yeah, there have been, like, a crazy number of launches this year. Like, I mean, I think I was hoping Starship, but they have some regulatory things. There have been a crazy number of launches. The Spin Launch team had a pretty cool test. A number of other uh, projects have marched forward. I think it's one of those, like, pretty awesome things that continues to move. I don't think we're there yet. Look at the, like, Starlink became kind of a big thing this year, right? And we saw right. that a bit with stuff that happened in Ukraine and people started to see that this is a pretty transformative thing. And this is like already up and running. This is like not a one time going to be there. It's there now.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, one thing I said, I, I know I'm cherry picking <laughs> things that uh, that had the most consequence or were most correct on. So, you know, I totally understand. But. But one thing that I talked about a lot last year for predictions for next year was uh, that education was going to just like radically change. And um, I actually predicted that they would privatize scholarships. I mean, I was, you know, for, for, and I don't know if my prediction was spanned a year or not, but, but, but uh looking at what happened there, I mean, a number of things did happen along those lines. So one you know, college enrollment uh, has completely tanked so 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 people are are just not going to college at the same rate, so that's a seismic event. um there was a whole effort around student loan forgiveness that I think it fell through at some point, but it was in the zeitgeist for a while. Not in the court Sam yeah, oh, that's right, yeah, the court disputed it, yeah, but it was in the zeitgeist for a while and and it does seem like. I do think that my prediction is going to come true eventually. That that you know, there's going to be some type of privatization of higher education, like to a much greater degree. It's gonna be like a, a seismic shift towards privatization. Um. So, so yeah, I think we're marching towards something there.
0: Are you gonna make new ones? I think I'm gonna be boring and just stick with like space being like a huge thing this next year. But uh, maybe you have some uh, a more interesting take. Something yeah, that, uh, I, You think it's gonna change? I think that uh, uh, um, I think
1: that the same predictions are just continuing to play out. Oh, okay. I do think that. I mean, this is not anything mind blowing, but I do think there'll be some type of economic collapse in 2023. I mean, everyone's kind of oh, no. saying that, but I mean, what, what's your take on that? I mean, do you go with the flow on that, or do you think it's it's people are being too bearish?
0: I mean,, look, everyone's saying, oh, they knew they knew, people were saying they knew. I mean, to be fair, people have been saying there would be something like that or this for however long. I heard some discussion with I'm in an, i don't I don't know the name now of the person, but i was I was an economist, and they were saying what they think, and it was I, I was a good take on it. If you look at times that were most similar to now. Um, with this like steady margin inflation, Fed raising the rate in the United States, stuff we see around the globe. This has kind of happened to us before, and it turns out it's just really boring. You just end up with a really slow slide down and then a really slow recovery that we're used to in the last 30 years, like bubbles and pops and crashes and then V-shaped recoveries, um, or things at least happening one side or the other very, very quickly. Um, but I think their, their take was like, this is something that will probably play out over like a decade. So when you have like a, a U-shaped thing that has like, it does have a minima, but you don't feel it so strongly when it's U-shaped and not V-shaped, right? And right. so you, this may play out over the next, you know, sliding down the next two, three, four years, um, you'll start to get mixed things. Some things will start to stabilize. Some things will get worse. Then you'll start to see a few things getting better, less things getting worse, more things stable. And then eventually things will tip back up and we'll be in a recovery, but you won't be able to know it. You won't know it till later. Um, and I, I feel like that's probably a, a reasonable guess about what's going to happen. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, thinking back to 2008, um, 2008,
1: there was. Definitely like a crash that spanned over months, right? I mean, I'm trying to, I'm struggling to remember, but I do remember there was like, like most yeah, of the I'm value like, part of a year. Yeah. Cause it was like Lehman Brothers and all that stuff. Like it all just kind of fell apart and yeah, maybe 10 to 12 months, maybe even less than that. And then you're right. The recovery really took maybe what, four or five years or so. I do remember there was a period, maybe it was like 2010 or 2011, where I just felt like the economy has been bad for so long. It's like you almost, I started to forget what it was like to have a good economy. <laughs> oh. <Uh-oh. laughs> um, all right, so um, we asked Zhu. Zhu is our last winner. Congratulations. It's X-U, so I'm sorry if I'm butchering that, but I believe it's Zhu. Ju. Zhu uh, L... Um, is our is our last winner, and we asked him to well, we asked ChatGBT to write an outro of the podcast. So here we go. Zhu is a big fan of the podcast, Programming Throwdown, and he loved listening to the latest episodes when they were released. One day, while listening to a latest episode, Zhu had an idea for an outro that he thought would leave a lasting impression on the listeners. And here's Zhu's outro outro. Thank you for tuning. Been... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, I'm literally reading this on the fly. So, you know, help us here. But um, thank you for tuning into this episode of Programming Throwdown. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and found it helpful. If you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. We always welcome feedback from our listeners. Thanks for listening. Um, as a token of appreciation, the hosts offered you a free T-shirt with the show's logo on it, which is actually exactly what we're doing, Zhu. So thank you so much.
0: <laughs> it was amazing, but it was so yeah, so vanilla. Oh, it was good though.
1: Um, the only part of this we can't validate is that these folks are wearing them with pride. I notice every answer from chatGBT3, every paragraph ends with the person wearing the shirt with pride. So it's up to you, you know, take photos of yourself wearing your programming third down t-shirts with pride and add us on Twitter. Um, I guess actually, you know, just to sort of close the whole loop here is uh, I do think that these generative AI models are going to be a huge, huge part of the next three, four years. Because I mean, just imagine... All the different things that you're going to see disrupted, like spam, is going to look completely different next year. Oh, uh, right. I mean, that's yeah, that's the. I don't know why I keep going to that it's such a negative example, but just you know, I mean, I mean, like all the like, like okay, imagine if you were what's that company that has the images? You know, like if you need an image for a presentation, you could pay them five bucks. Shutterstock, I think. Yeah, okay, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like Shutterstock is going to be, you know they're under enormous pressure now, right? Because you could just generate a photo and who cares if the person, you know, doesn't look exactly right. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be just extraordinary what's going to happen. Oh, the other part of this is people are generating pictures and text, and it always starts with like very low level sensory things like pictures and text. But imagine if you could generate games or you could generate, um, like imagine if you could if your goal is to train a uh uh like a police officer to decide who is at fault in like a traffic jam and so you could like generate like more and more like confusing traffic jams and like you know it could get harder and harder and you could train them or imagine if you could generate the advertising so like instead of having to find the picture and the text for the ad, I mean, I guess it's that's the same picture and text stuff. But, but I think the generative stuff will become sort of domain specific, and uh, that's where it can get extremely, extremely interesting. I
0: I dread our future. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> All right, everybody. Hey, this was a pleasure having uh, so many folks here with us,
1: and uh, you know, folks in the chat and over email. Um, and supporting us on Patreon. Thank you so much for, for a year of that. Um, we really appreciate uh, all of your you know time, your energy, your feedback, and uh, your years. I uh, appreciate having those for, for an hour or so every couple of weeks. So, so thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to an exciting 2023. We have a, a, another lineup of really exciting guests. Patrick and I also are also going to do a few, uh, you know, a bunch of duo episodes. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm really looking forward to all of that.
0: Music by Eric Barndoller.